It is a good morning to be here, and I hope that you feel good about having come this morning, not just because of the beautiful weather outside, right? It's a beautiful day, certainly better than that you know, damp, gray sky, freezing cold temperature. You get sunlight, so it's a blessing. So we're glad to have that here at Haleville, Alabama today. And more than that, though, is the spiritual reasons for coming here today. You realize that when we were here already... A few minutes ago, we declared at least two major ideas, all right? There is a God in heaven, isn't there? God is real, God is power, God is love, and God has given us blessings beyond words. And here, here's the other one I picked up on. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And I thought if there's anything that can inspire you to live your life, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the hinging point for the good news of Jesus Christ And a blessing and honor for us to be able to hold on to that and to tell the world about the risen Savior and the empty grave. So I'm thankful to be here today. Uh, I do have five sons. That's the reason for the little gray. If you get a little closer, you'll see it. A little gray around the edges there. And and, uh, that's okay, though. I'm still trying to keep up with, you know, the energy they have. 24 down to 11. I uh, still play the basketball, and I still do get on the old skateboard, even at 46 years old. And uh, mom's still like, you got to get off that board. But I'm going to keep on doing it just until, you know, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm grateful for an opportunity like this. I have been blessed in my preaching career to go into a lot of different congregations, to talk about things that matter, and uh, to be able to look into the eyes of people that I've never met before. But when they come to me and say, hi, I know so-and-so, and... Uh, I'm able to say, I know you now. And for us to be connected as brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus Christ tells me that even should I never, ever see you again, we will be together one day in heaven. And I can't think of anything better than that. So I can smile today and talk about what I'm going to talk about this morning and do so by starting to tell you that you've got potential here. You've got unlimited potential. Remember in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul talks about how that that Christ is, the Lord is, God Himself is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or even think. So do not ever get in your mind that we are nothing, that we have no power source, that we have no potential. Your legacy is real and you're making it every single day of your life. I am a, a part of an environment that we simply call Christian environment. I am part, more particularly though, of a group of people that are preachers of the Word of God. I was blessed to be raised in a home where I have a fourth generation of preachers and elders. Church goes back even further, but there were preachers and elders in my family from the fourth generation back. And what that did for me was it put me into a, a close proximity with messages and ideas that I heard since I was, you know, old enough to understand. And over the process of that life, I figured out that the greatest thing to do is share the greatest thing we all could share. And that doesn't put me at a hierarchical position of being better than anyone else, but it does put me in a position where I can tell you, you've got a message that puts you in a position to make lives better. And if that's the case, then our potential here is based on the idea that we walk showing the world Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in that lifestyle... We will open the doors for someone else to see that they too should be where we are. In this area, you might remember names like Charles Coyle, Basil Overton, 
and maybe even Barry Anderson. Gentlemen who in the early times of International Bible College, when it was you know, Southeastern College of the Bible before, then transitioned to IBC, then it became Heritage Christian University. Those were men that influenced my life in ways that I, I, I could tell you stories that would last for hours. And they were marching through this area, especially Brother Coyle and Brother Overton. They were marching through this area with a message that said, the gospel still changes lives, it can change the world today. And here we are now, right? 2,000 years after the cause of Christ's beginning. Here we are today, recipients of the very same message. Thomas B. Warren, very well-known spokesperson of the gospel from a logical perspective in the, in the brotherhood, uh, he, he once said something, and I had a good opportunity to have conversations with him out in Texas. He told me one time, he says, James, I want you to tell the world this. He said, you tell the world that if we do what they did, we will be what they were. And he changed it a little bit to say, if we do what they did, we will be everything they were and nothing more and nothing less. And I thought to myself, you know, back around 2000 or so, that that was one of the most significant changing words or or thoughts or ideas that I could ever have held on to. It's simple to say this. We have a word from God, the word of God, that has not changed in 2000 years. And I don't have to go home tonight wondering if what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, what I'm believing is what God's will for my life is. Not if I accept it from the Word of God first. So I can put my head on my pillow at night. Tonight I plan to. I can put my head on my pillow at night and I can know that I have been obedient to the will of God. Therefore, I have been put into the church we read about in the Bible because I did what they did and I am therefore what they were. Or what they are right now. That is, Christians. Nothing more. Nothing less. I'm not a hyphenated Christian. I don't have to worry about trying to find the church of my choice. I can simply do what God says do. And I can be put into the church that God wants me to be a part of. Isn't that a blessing to know in this day and time? When it's so convoluted and messed up and confused. It's simple. And here we are now. You know, Looking back in that 2,000 years ago. Historians tell us there were as many as one million people in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. That's a lot of people. As many as a million people in Acts chapter 2. And then suddenly now you've got 12 apostles who just seem, seemingly you know, kind of stood up from out of nowhere. And they start preaching a message that's going to change the world forever. And what follows is these riots and persecutions and adventures, you know, and all these, all these actions of the apostles and members of the church. And yet in a world where it seems like there was a brand new religion on every street corner, somehow Christianity actually took root. And it still makes me smile. It still works. Because out of that million possible people, hundreds of thousands for sure, 3,000 people, a small number by comparison, by the way. But 3,000 people became 5,000 and then 10,000. And suddenly the entire world was overtaken by the idea. These were people in the first century that for the first time saw a message that did in fact change the world. It changed their lives and they could, you know, they could, they could release themselves from the law. They could release themselves from a code they couldn't follow completely. They could, they could find the beauty and the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. And the church could grow. 
But the church could only grow because those individuals who first received that message didn't just take it and make it their own personal treasure. A treasure they would hide and not tell anyone else about. That's easy to do, by the way. It's easy for us to have a mental faith. You know, it is. I can take everything I've ever known and I can put it right here in my mind and hide it right there in my heart and I can be as quiet as a mouse with it because it's mine. And I tell you what, if I have as much mental faith as that, it's never going to make a difference because nobody knows what I'm thinking. Not unless I tell them. You can hide what you think. You cannot hide your lifestyle. And that's the beauty of it. This early church in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, all the way through, this early church was a group of people who had zeal. They had, they, they felt that it was urgent that the message goes out. And they became people who shared that. You know, you know the word evangelist? You know, the word, I actually wear that title right now. It's interesting when you think about all the titles that we put on preachers. You know, he's the preacher. Really? Is he the only one? You know, it's a direct article. He's the preacher? He's the minister. Really? Is he the only minister? Romans 12, 4 through 8? Is he the evangelist? Is he an evangelist? Who is an evangelist? When you talk about the word evangelist, it comes from two Greek concepts, right? EU, 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 which is good. And euangelion, or angelion, which is the word we get angel from. And angel, of course, means messenger. So you put euangelion together, and you've got good messenger. We shared in Acts chapter 8, verse 4 this morning, that all those who are scattered abroad, whenever are preaching and teaching the message of Jesus Christ. So what you're learning there is, the pronouns used in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, were not pronouns used simply for the apostles. They were used for the church that took the message of Jesus Christ everywhere they happened to go. That's the beauty of it. That's because they felt a purpose now. That's because they felt, as I've said several times now, a life change. And they felt like other people needed to have that too, and they became zealous. Now, church, you ever seen somebody who's zealous? I think sometimes we get the idea that a person who is zealous is just someone who happens to have energy in the pulpit. You know, that, that's zeal right there. And they will, and we will sometimes, misdefine what zeal is simply because they happen to have a kind of personality that's just magnetic or energized. That's not zeal. You can fool someone with that kind of persona, but that's not zeal. Zeal in America is a far cry from what God ever intended. People go after this, they go after that. I know people right now, they're probably on the golf course this morning, don't you? Well, maybe a little cool for that. Fishing or out hunting because they're zealous for that. But boy, you go to somebody and say, hey, would you mind giving just an hour of your time next week to the cause of Christ Jesus? It's like, oh, I don't have time for that. Gotta go. Leave me alone. I'll call you. Don't call me. The check's in the mail. Are they zealous? Yeah, people are zealous for money. People are zealous for power. People are zealous for prestige. They're zealous for position. Zeal is defined this way. An eagerness and an undivided pursuit in the interest of something. Psalm 69 is found, fulfilled in John 2, 
where it says very plainly, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's the zeal. Now, did you know that we are called to be people of zeal? That doesn't mean that you got to look, you know, all energetic and don't have to have the personality. It's just absolutely magnetic. You know, that's not it. Zeal is going from start to finish, dedicated to a cause, focused on a goal, and regardless of how slow it might seem like you're getting there, you're going to get there. You're going to cross that finish line. That's real zeal. But urgency is something you feel every day. Urgency is the idea that that person over there will die one day. That person over there will face the Lord one day. And that person needs to know what he or she needs so they do not face the Lord unprepared. That's urgency. Did you know the entire Bible gives us examples of the need for urgency? Old Testament's full of it. It's it's really, uh, you know, I can go to any of the examples in the scripture of, of the good guys, right? But but John 24, or Joshua 24, 15 steps right out at me. You choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You got your own choices to make. You can follow those gods that aren't really gods. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what my kids are going to do. My household, we will know faith in God. Um, 1 Kings 15, 14 talks about good King Asa did that which was right all the days of his life. And we're like, man, that's that's what real zeal is. It's a start to finish idea that you're going to make it. You're going to do it. Doesn't matter your gender, your age, whatever. You're going to make it through. That's zeal. New Testament does that too. I know we talked about Matthew 5, 14 through 16 today. You're the light of the world, church. You're a city set on a hill. You can't be hid. Not if you take your faith and live it out every single day. So over Matthew 5, Jesus is talking there in context of the night. And the one thing we didn't do in the first century, you don't turn off your light at night because you might have to get up. You might have to go somewhere in the middle of the night. You've got to keep that lamp burning. And that's the idea. We are on a backdrop of spiritual darkness all the time. And we got to keep that light shining because that's what zealous people do. John chapter 9, verse number 4, Jesus says, I must work the work of him who sent me because the night is coming wherein no man can work. You think Jesus had that zeal? You think Jesus died for a cause and a purpose? Even when it looked like no one cared and he did it anyway. That leads us to this, to this point. Everything you've heard today is, remember Acts 17? It talks about the, 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 uh, the Athenians there wanted to always hear something new. Sometimes we don't have to hear something new. Sometimes we need to hear what we've always known. Because it inspires us and it revives us. And that's what this lesson, I hope, will do in some small way for you today. The reason for my zeal and the reason for your zeal is the idea that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. You ever heard that before? If I was going to tell you to stop the press, I got some big news I want to share. And you're like, okay, give it to me. And I said, Jesus died for you. Period. Boom. Print that. You'd be like, man. I've heard this before. People want to hear something new. Let me tell you what, that's new if you look in the eyes of Jesus today. If you make that personal today, if you understand where you were before you came in contact with the blood of Christ, that's good news. 
And here's why. Romans 3, 23 will tell you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 will tell you that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It will tell you in Romans 5, verse number 8, but God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, didn't deserve it, Christ died for us anyway. He wasn't doing it for good people, for even righteous people, religious people. He was doing it for the ones who are outside of the scope of God's forgiveness and pardon. He was doing it for the trash that needs to be taken out. If you want to reduce it down to the idea, that's what Romans 5 is really talking about there. And when you look at that message, you suddenly start to appreciate 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, being the nugget of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's for me. That's personal. That's mine. And if there's anything at all I can do for you this morning, it's really just to, uh, to establish that idea for you and make that something that's very, very personal. And here's why. We got reasons to abound today. I have, um, I've, I've spoken, I don't want to start talking about me in that way. But in all the congregations I've spoken for, I've, I've noticed a pretty good 60-40 split between congregations who have always known a message. And they will know it now. And they will even say they base their lives on that message. And then you look at the result and it's a bit lethargic. It's a bit more like, eh, no big deal. But if you ask personally, it's a big deal. All right, and, and that's kind of where they stay. Then the other 40%, they're like, whoo, we are inspired by the truth. We can't wait to share the message of Jesus with everybody we know. We want to know what more we can do to make it work. We got a reason to abound. First Corinthians 15, 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, you know. And, and, and we have a reason to live. Philippians 1, 21. For to me to live is Christ. And if we should die, to die is, you know it, it's gain. It's even better. So what we've got to do is take something we've always known before and start polishing it up just a little bit. And realize right underneath the, the surface there, it actually looks more shiny than I thought. Paul said that's worth living for. Paul said, you know, for me to live as Christ dies again, I'm in a straight betwixt the two right now. I would desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. But while I'm here, I'm going to make sure that you are embracing an idea that makes you come alive. Because I want you to grow. I want you to know Him. I want you to be encouraged. And I want you to share. And, and that's demanding of my zeal. Now, I'm going to say something right here. If we're going to understand zeal, actually, if we're going to be zealous, we need to understand zeal. And, and that's the kicker. The Bible has never once asked you to ever do anything impossible. Do you realize that? You ever thought about that? All these commands of Scripture, got to do this and got to do that. And oh man, Bible's never told you to do something outside the scope of possibility. Do you know that? Anything God ever told you to do, it's within the option. And you can do it if you choose to. So when we go over here and we're looking like in Acts chapter you know, 9 and we're looking at all this, we're, we're remembering now that they did it back then. And if they did it back then, I can do it today and I can be what they were. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. Now what did Paul do? Not just in his moral life, not just in his, in his preaching life. What did Paul do? Well, Paul lived on the idea that when it comes down to it, the only thing that really matters 
is that the sacrifice of God, the Lamb of God, John 1, 29, died for His sins perfectly to become that sacrificial offering. His blood went to the grave and did something James Ferris can't do or Paul couldn't do. And that is, if James Ferris tells you, okay, church at Haleyville, I want you to realize that when I go back to Gainesville, Florida, in about three days you're going to hear that I passed away. I know that already and I'm going to die. I want you to realize that in about 16 hours from my death, you're going to get a Facebook notification that James Ferris came back from the grave. All right? I just want you to be aware. Now, what happens in a couple of days when I get back and I, I passed away? They're like, oh, that's looking a little bizarre. But then 16 hours goes by and I haven't come back from the grave. You going to seriously anymore? I'm not. Not if I hear that. But if you could come back from the grave the way you said, the way the prophets said, according to the power and will of God, that might just make you worth listening to. You think Paul was zealous when he was a Jew? And he wasn't an apostle? In Acts 9, it says there he was, you know, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughterings, you know, against the, against the disciples. He was doing everything he could, boy. Because in his mind, the Christian was in direct opposition to the law of God. And you can't listen to this Jesus. He's a, he's a farce. He's a, he's a, he's, he's just false. He is, he's an illusion. He's nothing. But boy, when you go a little further and you find out that Saul of Tarsus was converted on the road to Damascus and he does a 180, man. He's, he's beating Christians down over here and just a few days later, man, he's out there telling people that Jesus is Lord. Now, can you imagine the flip? You think Saul of Tarsus was zealous? Yes. You think Paul the Apostle is zealous? Absolutely. Maybe even more so. But I always wondered, you know, right here at... at how would the early church take him? You ever thought about that? I mean, man, on one hand, I'd be like, I don't trust that guy at all. This is the biggest trick of my life. You know what he's doing, don't you? He's just coming to the church because he wants to, to get us all comfortable around him. And boy, as soon as he, he, we embrace him, he's going to, pow, take us into prison. <laughs> I don't trust him. Don't listen to that guy. But Paul the Apostle does something. When you go to Romans chapter 9, and you find him saying there, you know, that my my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. In chapter 10, verses 1 following, he says that I bear them witness. They have a, you ready? A zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You understand what he's saying about his own people? He's saying, we have always, and my own people today even have the idea that they're zealous for God. If you ask them, are you living your life for God? They're going to say, absolutely. I'm ready to go through this with all the gusto I possibly can. But it's not according to knowledge, not according to truth. You think we ever maybe misapply the idea of our own zeal because we do it according to our specifications instead of God's allowance and will? 
Well, I guess I'm trying to get down to is, we as Christians have got to get back on the right page. We have to get our starting point right. You've got to get on the launching pad. You've got to get this right before you can ever actually, you know, go ahead and, and, uh, and take off, you know? Paul left from there and he went straight to the Gentiles. You know how hard that was for a Jew to say, okay, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Bond or free, male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 28. So my whole point has been in this point. Jesus died for you. You can nod if you'd like. Jesus died for you. And I would love it if every single day we wake up, that becomes, that becomes our passion. That's our, that's our motto. That's our mantra. That's something we live by. Jesus died for me. And if you can ever, okay, if you can ever get to the point where you can kneel at the foot of the cross and look up at the Lord and He's there on the cross and He looks down at you and contact is made and He says, I'm doing this. If you ever can see Him saying, I'm doing this for you and because of who I am for you, I want you to be everything you can be for me, your life will change. This congregation will change. You'll have one person who becomes a Christian. Next thing you know, three or four more come with them. And those three or four will tell ten or twelve. This congregation's got a big issue then about having to seat everybody whose life has been changed by a message they never would have been told had it not been for that one. So the urgency is to be zealous. Our desire is based on a, a kind of dual foundation of love and urgency. Love and urgency. That's it. Agape love is different than phileo love, and that's the love God's calling us to, uh, to, to base our lives on. Agape love. It's God's love for us. He wants us to mimic that love in our own lives. In other words, agape love takes someone's needs and desires and puts those above our own desires. And so if I look at someone who needs the gospel of Christ Jesus, then I'm willing to step in there and give them what they need, even if it's sacrificial for me. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 42. It's a simple text, but listen to it very quickly. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 42. Daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, here's my question for you. Why would they do that when they've just been beaten and told never to do that again? That's the context. Why would you do something when the law just said, don't you dare do that again? Here's the answer, because Jesus told me to. He'd already told me what my life should be from this point on. And there's not a law in the universe big enough to change that fact. I don't care, provincial law, transient law, doesn't matter. You know now the will of God for your life. And that's what they were about doing. That's why the church was able to just, you know, to explode. Jesus told them to. And then he leaves in Revelation 22 with this. Here it is, church. This is for you too. I'm coming quickly. I'll be back for every one of you. You ever pray that? You ever pray, Lord, come quickly? I was almost taken back when I heard an elder one time at Rivergate Church of Christ, he prayed that in every prayer. Lord, where are you? We're ready for you. Come back. Take us home and help us. Here's the kicker. Help us, Lord, to be ready 
for your return. And there's the Lord telling us, I'm going to prepare a place and I'm coming back quickly. If he's coming back for me, I can be thankful to that. and I won't be shocked. It may be a surprise because it will be abrupt and it will be like, oh, finally. But it will be something I can embrace because I know what's coming. But at the very same time, for the world that doesn't know that, trumpet will sound. They're the ones that need to hear a message. In a world like Peter and James and John, the gospel caught hold. Even though it was everywhere spoken against, it caught and it just ran through. Now, my question for you is this. If they're shedding their blood for Jesus, and my cousin Stephen the other day got killed for Christ, and I'm still sharing that message because I know it's urgent that I do so, who of us in here in 2019 have ever even shed a drop of blood that way for Jesus Christ? Oh, I've suffered some. I got some emotional scars sometimes. I might have a little mental anguish from the person who laughed at me for being a Christian. I've not really been persecuted though. I admit it. Tacitus, the Roman historian, talks about how that Emperor Nero would take Christians just because. Dip them in oil, put them on a cross, and the pathway in his garden would be outlined and dotted with Christians on a cross who when nightfall would come, he would light them on fire. And that became the light for all the party. And I look at that and I'm thinking to myself, I haven't shed a drop of blood for Christ Jesus and those Christians didn't allow that to stop them from sharing a message and I'm suddenly feeling quite ashamed. Because I have every reason to share that message today. And that's the beauty of it. I can preach to you and tell you. And I can implore you even to be zealous with that message. And I can implore you to be, to realize the urgency of it. And you know, here's the urgency, alright? Let me just be straight with you, alright? Here, here's the urgency. In our world today, you can Google it if you want to. Alright? Go home and Google it. In our world today, people are being born about that fast. Do you know that? Right now. Someone was just born. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Little brand new baby. Precious, perfect creation of God. You know, that's how fast they're being born. Not even exaggerating. You know what's happening on the flip side to create the cosmic balance we know? You know what that is? Somebody's dying too. I wonder if they're ready. And I wonder if it was somebody I knew. The gospel is beautiful. I love the elegance of the church. She, the bride of Christ, is beautiful and divine. I love her. I also love the idea that this message that hasn't changed is so uniquely for me. Paul told the Thessalonians 
that the Lord is coming again. In flaming fire. That's the negative, okay? Just keep listening, though. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and have not obeyed the gospel of Christ Jesus. That's just a fact. The finality of the Lord's return is imminent. We cannot change or alter it. So I can at least prepare for it. If I've got to be aware of the two things that will be detrimental to me, then I want to know God and I also want to obey the gospel of Christ Jesus, right? That makes good sense. So we're asking the question, what is the gospel of Christ? According before, the good news of Christ or the gospel of Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now here's the kicker. Paul just told the Thessalonians, you've got to obey good news. So how do you obey death, burial, and resurrection? You ever wondered about that? And again, Paul gives us the answer in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may bound? God forbid, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then, I'm going to paraphrase now, he says, Don't you know that as many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we, we put on Christ. We've therefore contacted the death of Christ Jesus when we're buried by water in his death and raised up to walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the new man is coming out of a grave where the old man remains. Death, burial, resurrection. It's my message. My message to share. And it will change people for the better. It's a quick story that I'm going to hush. Story is told of a uh, Renaissance king. who was well known in his era. And he always had this one court jester. You ever heard the court jester story? And if you have, that's alright. You'll hear it one more time. Court jester always could make the king feel good. Even when it was time of, of war and darkness, you know. And so the, the, the king always asked for that one court jester to come in when he's feeling particularly low. And so here's this jester one day acting foolish and silly. And the king was so overwhelmed by, you know, his ability that he, he said to the jester, Jester, I'm giving you my scepter. And should you ever find anyone more foolish than you are, give the scepter to him so he can come before me and I'll get to meet him. Jester was was honored by that fact, you know, and put the scepter in his robe and walked away. Years passed by. The king falls into ill health and is finally on his deathbed. And he remembers that jester. Always made him feel good. So they call for that jester one final time. This time the jester walks in and approaches the bed of the king and he's not laughing. He's not being funny. As it comes to the bed of the king, the king says to the jester, It seems the time of my journey is coming to a close. The jester then looked back at the king and said, Have you prepared for the journey that is to come? And the king bowed his head and said, No, I'm not. At that time, a now older, more serious jester reached into his garment, pulled out a scepter, laid it beside the king, and said, then you are a greater fool than I am. Preparation is a must. Knowledge, a must. Urgency for the message is a must. Zeal, start to finish, 
something we need. So I hope that today's lesson has in some way encouraged you. It's really actually quite simple if you think about it. Just tell someone. We talk about everything, don't we? Don't we talk about everything? We'll talk about the buck we killed. We'll talk about the brand new car we got. We'll talk about the sweepstakes we might just won. We'll talk about Alabama football. But for some reason, the one off-limit topic is Jesus? Not sure why. So I encourage us all to think about where we are right now and make a life change to initiate the kind of contact that will make a difference in lives and show someone God loves them. That's the message. That's our opportunity. This morning, if you are outside of Christ, you have an opportunity to come to Christ Jesus for the first time, if that's the first time. Believing that He is the Son of God, you can turn away from a life of sin, and you can, before us today, confess you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you can be buried with Christ by baptism into His death. You can be raised up to walk in newness of life. The blood of Christ will have cleansed you, and the Lord will add you to the church you read about in the Bible. If we do what they did, we will be everything they were.